You know, I'm going to give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> Stop laughing! And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty-ass jokes on my ass, too. Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today I am pleased to introduce to you the legend, John Belushi. Uh, I mean, one of the all-time greats, honestly. So we will get into well, whether or not I agree with that, but he is uh, genuinely like a legend. <laughs> yeah, in, in SNL history, you know, probably one of the five or six most famous guys. Well, we'll get into all of that. Uh, but first I want to tell you, go to blindmike.net if you want to support this program. Uh, I've gotten a lot of messages. Oh, first of all, first and foremost, because this is the first episode since we did uh, the Gallagher episode. Mm. Um, seems like I tested it out and I could hear it, <laughs> which is a key for any podcast. So it seems like the audio has been fixed. Uh, if you have any issues, we do apologize, but always let us know of that uh, immediately. Because I think we, I think Craig got a hold of it. I did. I, I had to do a whole bunch of things and it eventually what worked. What a job. Yeah. What a pro. Was pro. Uh, so yeah, if anyone's having trouble with that, let us know. But, um, you know, if you want to keep this job professional here, support the program. Go to the Patreon. We're going to have a bunch of uh, bonus content coming in the new year. And we got a lot of good feedback on that Joe Matteris episode. I told people to reach out if they liked obscure episodes like that. So I think going forward, stuff like that will be exclusive to the Patreon. Like we'll do a Matter East part two. We'll do a bunch of like uh, Opie and Anthony and Howard Stern stuff. Uh, and I think a lot of that will be on uh, the Patreon. I already have a bunch of uh, good ideas for those. Um, so join the Patreon if you want stuff like that. We'll do mini episodes as well. All kinds of stuff coming up. But if you'd rather support the show for free, listen, times are tough. I understand. Um, so support the show for free. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all those links are at blindmike.net. And my Twitter's um, my Twitter's there, prominent. Yeah, follow Craig on Twitter. That's what <laughs> I, I you go to blindmike.net looking for Craig's Twitter, but hopefully you check out some of the other links as well. Yeah, and never send anything before it's completely finished, or else it's sticks around for about a year and a half. Like this. That's joke. right. <laughs> um uh, there's one other thing I wanted to say. Before we get started here, and I can't remember. Oh, uh, shout out to our boy uh, Harmon, the Be a Man guy. So he has a show at uh, Laugh Boston. Yep, and he's always been good to me. So I just figured I'd say uh, check him out as well. Uh, December fourteenth, I think. So if you guys want to go to that, uh, check out our boy Be a Man. I think he has a bunch of like comics there and stuff. I don't know exactly what they do, but it's a whole a whole production they've got going on at Laugh Boston. Yeah, it goes. Uh, he has comics. They do bits and all that stuff. It's fun. Boy, what a plug. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be um, I mean, I'll be there. <laughs> I mean, folks, if that's not enough to get you there, Craig's going to be there. I'll be there. Come say hi. The paparazzi, if you can get past the paparazzi, <laughs> hit up Laugh Boston, December 14th. Um, so John Belushi, uh, like I said, maybe, you know, if I really sat down and crunched the numbers, maybe top five is a little too high, but he's certainly up there. Um, not necessarily one of my favorites. I would say like, I think his work in movies to me was better than anything he really did on SNL. 
Um, but he's genuinely like one of the most famous guys to come out of that. And he's uh, kind of one of the most iconic, like clearly he was influenced by Jackie Gleason. If you go back in the archives, we talked about Jackie Gleason. He was kind of the, the godfather of the, the fat drunk drug addict in comedy. <laughs> but John Belushi is like the icon of that. Like guys like Chris Farley and Artie Lang and these people, uh, John Candy, they, people always compare them to John Belushi. Uh, and if, I'm t- if we're talking just SNL, like I think Chris Farley is a lot funnier. Mm-hmm. Like to me, I can watch, you know, uh, Matt Foley for the 10 millionth time and still laugh. But I think John Belushi kind of paved the way for guys like Farley to be sort of kind of physical, affable, like like there's a, a sweetness to them, a gruffness to them. They can, they can play a lot of different things on SNL rather than just being, while they were the fat guy. Like there was a little more to them than that, I think, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think you also saying top five is definitely true. I don't know. It's not crazy. Like like I said, if I sat down and evaluated it, maybe I wouldn't have him in there, but he's pretty close. I mean, I wouldn't put very many people above him, so I would yeah. agree with it. He's not my favorite, but if, I mean, he probably saved the show. <laughs> right. Well, we'll get to that. Um, but just to go from the beginning, he uh, he is the pride of Albania. I have an Albanian girlfriend and uh, knowing nothing about comedy. She's like, Oh, John Belushi is Albanian. (laughs) Um, So his uh, parents are Albanian immigrants and they were very like his, his father was, according to at least the documentaries I watched and things, his father was embarrassed by his accent and didn't speak a lot. His mother was a bit of a nut. She ran off and tried to become an actress at one point and like abandoned the family. Um, so I don't think it was like a great home life, which we'll get to his brother at the end as well, but who's mm. <laughs> really the black stain on the family. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, his, you know, uh, his parents weren't necessarily the, um, uh, the most bright personalities, but I feel like that often spawns comedians. You know what I mean? Cause like a lot of that wanting to make people laugh comes from wanting to make a withholding parent laugh or something. And, uh, I guess the, uh, you know, that cheeseburger, cheeseburger character that he did. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Yeah. That was based on his dad essentially. And he really did. His dad was, um, a diner owner in Chicago and like wanted to get John into the family business, but John just never had any interest. And he was kind of the, you know, as uh, Dan Aykroyd called him like the all American boy, he was a football player, but also he was in theater. Uh, he worked in summer stock, that sort of thing. So he was, he was really like, you wouldn't think of a, you know, I think a lot of people like the, the, you know, drug addict is the staple of what you think of John Belushi as. Right. Yeah. Like that's kind of the title he's been given. Yeah. But like when he was young, he was a lot more than that. And as a performer, he was a lot more than that. And I think people have forgotten that because he's been, he's so synonymous with, you know, a bright star that flamed out early. Um, but then, uh, you know, when he made his way to uh, showbiz, he started in National Lampoon Radio, and that was like, I mean, you look at the the the, the um, alumni that Saturday Night Live has, and they've obviously been around a lot longer. But National Lampoon Radio, 
in the early 70s was Belushi, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Christopher Guest, Gilda Radner, uh, Harold Ramis, uh, Brian Doyle Murray, who's a character actor. Um, they had quite a list of people doing that National Lampoon Radio. And that seems like such a foreign concept to us, the idea of like doing sketches on the radio. But it was a very popular thing back then, and it was kind of the only outlet that sketch comics like that had. You had, you know, Second City um, out in Chicago, which was live performing. But, like, there wasn't necessarily, I mean, you know, we talked about, like, we talked about Gleason. He did kind of a sketch show and things like that. But in the way that Saturday Night Live did it, National Lampoon Radio was kind of the only predecessor for that, where they developed these stars. It wasn't, you know, the Richard Pryor show. It wasn't one man's show. It was an ensemble cast of these up and coming stars. And that's what National Lampoon Radio was. And that's what eventually SNL was also. Um, so, uh, do you have my notes by the way, in yep. case I get lost? Yep. Cause I sent them separately. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking um, at them. all right, good. So, uh, just cause I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but basically, um, Belushi was, so Lauren Michaels is starting this thing that we now know is Saturday night live. And, uh, you know, he's looking for these hungry actors and everyone suggested Belushi to him. They suggested Chevy Chase, uh, Bill Murray. All these names were in the running in that first season. And um, when Lauren Michaels met with Belushi, he was like, I guess, kind of aloof and like didn't give a fuck and kind of wanted Lauren to wow him. And that led Lauren to being like, Jesus, like, do I want to deal with this guy? (laughs) At least the way Lauren tells it, like, even then he saw something like, I'm like, is is it worth it? Is this guy going to be worth it? He saw a comedic talent, obviously, but he was like, you know, I sense trouble here. And even I had never heard this story. Um, They didn't get into it too much. There was a good documentary on Showtime that I watched and another one on YouTube. Um, but the Showtime one was a little better because they had a lot of people uh, that actually interacted with Belushi. And Lauren Michaels kind of tells this story, and he doesn't really get too much into it, but basically he says that uh, he fired Belushi before the first episode of SNL. And Belushi had to kind of go back to him hat in hand and apologize. They didn't really get into too much of what happened, but it was funny to hear Lauren Michaels, like obviously after a very tragic death and Belushi was, you know, a superstar who was synonymous with SNL and even, you know, 40 years later, whenever this interview took place, Lauren Michaels was still like, you know, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for this fucker because he put me through hell. (laughs) (laughs) So, so he was a character pretty early on. And like, people will say that, you know, the drugs had a lot to do with that, obviously, but I think even before he was too crazy into drugs, um, he was uh, uh, a bit of a handful. And, and, and he was, to his credit, like we talked about Patrice a couple weeks ago, and we love Pat- Patrice for this. So we have to kind of, you know, respect Belushi for the same thing. He was a rebel and he did hate the idea of, you know, art for commercial sake. Like he would, in interviews, he would make fun of the fact that, 
you know, people would ask him like, why don't you do another animal house? And he goes, Oh, they'd love me to do that. They'd love me to do animal house does Christmas and animal house does 4th of July and have 10 million sequels to that thing. But I just have no interest in that. So like, that's something you do have to respect Belushi for. It made him difficult behind the scenes, but it made him a lot better as an artist. I think too. Yeah. If he was still alive, it would definitely have happened by now though. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Him and him and uh, Aykroyd would still be singing Blues Brothers songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but let's stick with uh, the early SNL days to kind of show. Well, first of all, in my notes, where are we? Um, Lauren Michaels didn't want to hire him, all that. And he was jealous of Chevy. Oh, that was the other thing, too. And this was not uncommon. I don't know if I could blame Belushi for this, but he was very jealous. Chevy, like we talked about in the Chevy episode, became the star. You know, like you, we don't think of it this way because when we grew up, SNL was already an institution that was this breeding ground for, you know, young movie stars. But the first season, people looked at it as the Chevy Chase show, essentially. You know, he introduced every show. He was Weekend Update. He had the catchphrase that everyone referenced. Um, and this also in this documentary, they played some Chevy Chase song that I was repulsed to find out existed. Oh no! <laughs> we'll have to play that at some point. I didn't. I didn't feel it was appropriate to include here, but go look it up. Um, but uh, yeah, Chevy was the star, and Belushi was very resentful of that because he felt like he was the funny guy. Now I will say Chevy and Belushi, while they're both like very physical actors, I do think we're different types of comedy. Like Chevy was the arrogant asshole and uh, that, that maybe you would aspire to be. And Belushi was the everyman that you knew that you were, you know, that you could relate to. Right. Um, um, all right. What's next here? Um, the the basically what kicked off his drug interest. Um, well, before actually before we get to that, let's play our first clip. The cold open. Yeah. So this is an example. Like I said, I didn't love Belushi. Like I didn't like the the samurai, um, or just in general him smashing shit did nothing for me really. Like at the time, I think it was something that you hadn't really seen before on television, and that's what SNL was in general. Like it was kind of this rebellious. It's so weird to think of like Lauren Michaels as a rebel now <laughs> when he is kind of the definition of Hollywood at this point. No kidding. But like back then he was doing something like he was kind of on the fringes. He was doing outside something outside of mainstream uh, Hollywood. And even in that first season, like I, I like I remember watching clips of like Norman Lear hosting who now just a showrunner, a faceless showrunner would not be hosting Saturday Night Live. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Um, but like when Belushi was being himself, that's when I thought he was kind of funny. So this is just an example of one of the sketches I did enjoy him in. Uh, it's him. This is a uh, season two when Belushi did kind of take over the show and it was sort of known that he was, you know, um, a pain in the ass behind the scenes and things. So uh, this is a cold open for, uh, referencing that. Hi, I'm John Belushi. I'm just having a cup of coffee before the show. It's kind of a tradition with me. <laughs> Here at Saturday Night Live, we have another tradition that the show is always open with the words, Live from New York, it's... Well, you know the rest. 
Tonight our producer, Lauren Michaels, has convinced the NBC brass to let me say the words. So let's start tonight's show. Now, it was no easy battle. I mean, we've done close to 50 shows, and this is the first time I've been allowed to do the opening. You see, I've got a bad reputation around NBC as a troublemaker. <laughs> the network brass think, oh, actors are stupid. So uh, naturally, any actor who thinks for himself or has any sort of intellect is a troublemaker to them. <laughs> Let's forget that now. I mean, that's not important now. Anyway, that I know that my being out here alone at the beginning of a live show represents a, a secret trust the network has bestowed upon me. Because, of course, the show cannot start until I say those words. <laughs> Think of it. Right now, NBC, one of the country's largest corporations with billions in assets, is waiting for me, a stupid, troublemaking punk actor from Wheaton, Illinois, to open the show. Well, I've got them where I want them. Right in the palm of my hand. But although I could easily do it, I would never, never, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Betray the network's trust in me. I will say the words, live from New York, it's, you know what, when I'm ready. <laughs> I will now read a list of demands. <laughs> and then in SNL fashion, it goes for another four minutes and <laughs> we get the point at a certain point. But I just think that's funny, like to kind of embrace that character in the 70s, I do think is different than what most people were doing. You know what I mean? Like kind of saying, first of all, pointing out the, the you know, lack of vision that was happening in show business that I don't think that was necessarily happening a lot, at least not as blatant as you heard it there and kind of acknowledging like through that skit that he can be difficult to deal with. I think like that's him being kind of real. And I liked that about him in those moments, you know? Oh yeah. He's, he's uh you were saying that people look at him as like the every man earlier. That is perfect. <laughs> it's just, he perfect. really is. Yeah. yeah. You're like, yeah, you're a kind of a dumpy guy, you know? Yeah, you feel you feel like you could be blue, you could hang with Belushi. And that's literally, I mean, we'll play a clip later of Aykroyd telling a story that kind of summarizes this perfectly. But he was a guy that could relate to people. And part of that is because uh, when you're a drug addict, you will speak to anyone who you think might be able to facilitate that. But uh, he, he just had a feel like you could hang out with him, you know? Yeah. And that's the same, same with... Farley and uh, to a different extent, Artie Lang. I feel like more scumbags related to Artie Lang, <laughs> just sure. as he would specifically talk about gambling and heroin and all this shit. But uh, they kind of followed in those footsteps a little bit. I feel like. Um. So you want to play the next clip as well? Is that Jane Curtin? No, it's um, Buck Henry on Samurai Bit. Oh, okay. Well, we can go here first, actually, because um, this is just talking about this. And this is the shit I didn't love, but it does show, and the same with Chevy Chase, it shows their dedication to what they were doing. 
and you know, kind of the 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 harm's way they were putting themselves in. Like shit in the early days of SNL was pretty wild. You got Chevy slamming into things, getting concussions, and then this is happening with uh, Belushi and Buck Henry during the samurai bit. Samurai was just something that happened between in the, in the first show I did, and John and I got along doing it very well because. Well, I loved listening to his fake Japanese and responding to it as though I knew what he was talking about. <laughs> that was the trick of that. Those were the days. Mm. And that was uh, always good. But other, I'm sure anyone would have done it. In fact, he did the Samurai in a very early show, Samurai Bellboy. But I don't think all the cutting and screaming and... Oh. Um, Suicide bits were were involved in it, <laughs> and then it was a formula. And I would call Alan Swibel and say, "Let's do a samurai." What uh, Lauren says, I was the first to suggest repeating bits. I don't think I was because it's a staple of comedy in you know the history of television. Um, but I'll take credit for it if he wants me to. And I said, "You know, well, let's do a samurai about." And then one of us would say, you know, a stockbroker or an ophthalmologist or something. So I guess I, I think I did them 10. I think we did 10 of them. So if you don't know who Buck Henry is, that's the son of a bitch that we have to thank for getting 10 million what's up with that sketches with Kenan Thompson yeah. and SNL repeating bits until they're, I mean, beating a dead horse is not enough to describe what SNL has done over the years. So apparently <laughs> Buck Henry inspired that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, fella. <laughs> you know what, but, Jimmy? I think you should laugh in the next the next sketch again. <laughs> but that is so I think the samurai bit, um, which is one of the I, 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 it's hard to say he's most known for that on SNL because he did a bunch. And I think he's most known for Animal House overall, probably. Definitely. Um, but I think I think the samurai is definitely his most famous SNL bit. Yeah. And the, and the reason like so like I say I don't find it funny. I have no interest in it, but it's also the reason that comedy, like it's an unfair criticism that I'm giving. Cause it's also the way that I defend older comedy. Like there are things that comedy's not supposed to hold up necessarily. Cause it's supposed to take you by surprise. It's supposed to be something you weren't expecting. And so in 1975 or whatever, um, it, that was the kind of bit that people weren't necessarily expecting. And that's why I got that reaction. So, you know, me growing up in the 90s and 2000s when uh, guys like Howard Stern had done everything they could to make nothing shocking anymore. <laughs> me seeing a guy doing a fake Japanese accent wasn't like, oh, my God, can you believe this? <laughs> I can't you believe know? it. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a fair criticism. It just wasn't for me, I guess. Um, but. Well, yeah, I think he did some funny shit on SNL. Like the idea of him going, him out, the, the skit where he outlives every other cast member mm -hmm. is very funny. <laughs> you know, like, but that's again speaking to, I think him being himself is funnier than um, any of the characters he did. And I do have to say, he did a uh, Marlon Brando impression that the, the first time I heard it, I thought it was being done by Chip Chipperson. <laughs> so <laughs> impressions were necessarily his game. <laughs> I literally thought you were going to hit me with that. It was like unreal. No, <laughs> I thought quite the opposite. Uh -huh. um, all right. Now I, I, I spoke too soon earlier, but now I believe we're here from Jane Curtin, correct? 
You are speaking too soon again. God damn it. How <laughs> deep did I tuck this bitch away? This is the last time you'd be too soon, but this is uh, okay, all right. Dan Aykroyd and Bennington. Oh, okay. Well, I did allude to this clip as well. Um, this is when he refers to John as uh, America's guest. There was something about the energy that you guys had, and there was something about the love that this country had for John Belushi that kind of bypassed even the talent. There was some kind of connection. And Oh, he I, was America's guest. Yeah, he was. I mean, the great story is is the one where we were shooting the uh, in the Harvey, Illinois Mall, and it was about two in the morning, and, and we were about to do the scene chasing up and down in the mall, you know, um, inside, driving inside the mall. And um, John was nowhere to be found. Couldn't find him anywhere. Where is he? Not in his trailer, not here. And I'm thinking, what? And I, I sort of, I see the neighborhood and I see a path going through the weeds and one broken street light. And I'm thinking, logically, path at least. <laughs> so I follow the path. And I go into the suburban neighborhood and there's one light on in a living room. And I think, I'm just going to try this one. I go up the steps and I knock on the door and uh, the guy comes to the door, you know, he's like in his pajamas and, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I said, sir, uh, we're making a movie down here and we're missing one of our actors. Oh, you mean Belushi? He's in my couch. Yeah, he came in about an hour ago. He raided my fridge and he's, cr he's crashed out. So I said, okay, well, I woke up, John. I said, time to go back to work. And I let him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that like, I had heard, so I heard that story with Aykroyd and then in the documentary, people were referencing other times that this happened. So if, if this was the only story out there, I might be like, ah, Aykroyd's bullshitting a little or playing it up. But apparently this was so common that literally like that name that he gave him America's guest is so perfect. Yeah. It stuck so well because that's the type of shit Belushi would do. <laughs> That'd be unbelievable. Imagine in the middle of the night, you open the door and John Belushi's like, you got a ham sandwich? The guy from Animal House, <laughs> and you'll also never believe it because, like back then, you don't have the internet. You can't just look at your phone and be like, "Is that Belushi?" You'd be like, "I'm, I'm pretty sure John Belushi was in my liver." I know you're not going to believe me, but <laughs> you lock up all your whiskey and acoustic guitars. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, Belushi became a massive, massive star because he's also uh, uh, in Animal House. Um. When uh, when he was while he was on SNL, and he started to become bigger than like even Lawrence said, there were a lot of weeks. In fact, I think most weeks by season two, even um, where he was more famous than a lot of the guest hosts. No shit. Um, which now, I mean, now other than, I get Pete Davidson for different reasons, but now that doesn't come close to happening anymore. Um. So Belushi was like a, a massive star and started to get an ego about him. And this was a story I had never heard. And I hope it holds up because boy, if I teased it, <laughs> finally, ladies and gentlemen, Jane Curtin has a, a story I'd never heard about Belushi that I found pretty interesting. I worked with when John and I uh, were up for the Cosell show together, we would um, take a cab back down to the village. He didn't live far from me. And he was, he was just a, another actor who was looking for work and who had a lot of promise. And he was very sweet and he was very considerate. And we would sit on my stoop and talk about what we wanted out of the business. And, and uh, um, 
you know, he, he was married, I was married, we, we liked our lives. He had a cat, I had a dog. Um, and, and I liked him. I liked him very much. And then when the show started, I saw that um, John wasn't, that something had, had gotten to John. And I don't know whether it was ego or ambition or a lot of it had to do with the drugs. And he was no longer this guy I could relate to. So working with him was hard because he didn't respect me. Um, or at least he appeared not to respect me. And he didn't seem to respect the other women on the show or the women writers. So it was, uh, it was <laughs> difficult working with John. Right. You've said in other interviews, he said women can't be funny. Yeah, he believed that. <laughs> he believed that. And, and you can't change that firm belief right. in a person. So you just have to say, okay, well, move on. Oh, Jane, you ignorant slut. Uh, I've always said Craig is Belushi without the talent. So it finally it lines up. Uh, I mean, that's that, and that's something you hear a lot. Like women aren't funny. Bonnie McFarlane literally made a documentary called Women Aren't Funny. Um, and it's, it's a it's weird. That it's like an, it's a genuine argument in the comedy world. Like, are women funny? And I think the answer is, of course, there are funny women. Like, I think Tina Fey is one of the two or three best television writers ever. I thought you were going to say two or three funny women alive. (laughs) (laughs) Funniest. Sure. (laughs) Um, No, I like, I think Tina Fey's like uh, 30 rocks, one of the best written comedies in my opinion. And uh, mean girls, I think is like, I think Tina Fey is just a great writer. Mean girls is a great movie. Um, And, and there are comics oddly, I think it's the lesser known female comedians that I usually find funny as opposed to the comics that are propped up, you know, like Amy Schumer and Nikki Glaser and a lot of pe- these people that like Hollywood kind of throws in your face. Meat brick. Um, <laughs> uh, the listeners of this show don't know who that is. You got to go listen to the blind Mike project. I mean, this is an episode about sign. I mean, uh, Saturday night live. So I'm pretty sure they know. Meat oh, that's true. All the, we get all the SNL fans. Here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, so like, it's, it's kind of a silly argument because the answer is like individually sure, but there are also differences. And this is probably more glaring in 1975 when stereotypes were a lot more prevalent, but, uh, like it's not about how you were born the genitals you were born with, but like societally, I think men are more inclined to develop a sense of humor where there's more pressure on women's looks. Like the, just the things that society forces us to focus on cause us to build different personalities. Like there's no women in high school aren't trying to make guys laugh. You know what I mean? So I think that just naturally causes more men to be funnier. Like <laughs> I do, I, you can, I, I do enjoy what we're talking about. Are women funny? And you're going into like therapist talk. No, here's how well, it is. <laughs> I mean, I don't think good because it's like, if I say like, there's a lot more funny men than that. People would think of that as sexist, but start listing funny men versus funny women. One side of the page is going to be filled up pretty quickly. You're going to need a couple pens for one side. Yeah, so listen, I'm just saying John was right to be, so we got to, we're honoring the man today. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, I'm trying to say he wasn't all wrong. At this 
<laughs> but no, I mean, uh, there's a there's a difference between the reason I made that entire uh, monologue there was to say that like there's a difference between having that opinion and also just being a shithead to the women on staff. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. <laughs> But based on Jane's story, and that's why I think it was interesting the way Jane told that story, because she did kind of have the perspective of saying, like, something changed in him. Like, he he wasn't that way before he really got, you know, deep into into the drug world, which I I think is where we're going next in my notes, correct? Yep. What a refresh my memory. Uh, At a college speaking engagement. Oh, yeah. Uh, so him and Aykroyd would do like the, by the way, I mean, if it wasn't obvious, him and Aykroyd were like best friends, like of that SNL crew, uh, Belushi and Aykroyd were probably the two that genuinely remained like, uh, very close and Belushi and Aykroyd would do these speaking engagements at colleges, I guess. I don't know exactly what they entailed. But Belushi, being such a physical guy, I guess going for a laugh, jumped off stage and tore the cartilage in his knee. And that is where, I mean, you know, I don't know if he ever uh, dabbled before this, but like, I guess he he was prescribed painkillers for that injury. And so I'm told it essentially never stopped after that. Like that was kind of one of the catalysts for him really getting hard and uh, uh, drugs and things like that. Yeah, this is, no, the- I mean, it's also the seventies. So, and it's, it's um, fucking 30 rock. So I'm sure the place was lit lined with cocaine from top to bottom, but yeah, that might've been his foray and uh, harder, harder shit like heroin. This was the, the BC AD point of his timeline. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, and so he kind of, but you know, he became this guy that was um, like, they would make, I guess the cast of SNL made this short film or something that was never released kind of based around like how difficult it was to deal with Belushi. (laughs) (laughs) Was he in it? They would, they would make jokes. Like they would make excuses as to why he wasn't there, why he wasn't in sketches, um, things like that. Like he would have to miss sketches because he was, you know, injured and we were referenced Artie Lang. Like if you ever listened to the Howard Stern show, um, some of those excuses aren't always truthful when it comes to drug addicts. <laughs> they may, they may embellish where they are from time to time. Um, so that became, you know, kind of a, just a, a pain in the ass for the people around him. He was also, um, he got, you, you heard Jane mention his wife there. Mm-hmm. The timeline's a little fuzzy because like, he, they refer to her as his wife all the way through Judy. And, um, you know, like they were together from a young age and people referred to her as his wife at the time. Um, but when Belushi would get like really hard into drugs, then people would see him with like other women and he would make excuses as to, ah, it wasn't, you know, what it looks like, that sort of thing. Um, and he ended up separating from her for a month and the way that, uh, Judy Belushi portrayed it when she told the story was that like they had broken up, not divorced. So the timeline's a little fuzzy. I don't know exactly, uh, when they were married or when people referred to them as married, but they were essentially a married couple, um, from John's time on SNL. And it became like, he hid a lot of this lifestyle from her. Like it was revealed to her later, which we'll get into um, more with the uh, the book that came out posthumously. 
she really didn't know like what the real John, she knew he was obviously involved in drugs and things, but she didn't know the full extent of it. I don't think, which must've been a, a, a difficult realization when you realize your husband's one of the most notorious drug users in Hollywood history. <laughs> yeah, he's a party animal. A little bit, a little bit. Um, what's the, uh, what's the next note here? Uh, in season two, he became increasingly more difficult on set and split with his wife. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we were just talking about. Um, let's keep going. Uh, next one's blues brothers. Gross. Um, what do we have for clips? Uh, this is, um, getting recognized. Oh yeah. Let's go with that first because by the time blues brothers came around, he was already a big star. Animal house made him, uh, you know, a household name as did SNL, honestly. Um, so let's hear him dealing with uh, gaining celebrity and getting recognized. When you don't make a movie, you just finished Neighbors. That was a long job. You got up early. You worked late. You worked hard. You had yeah, a lot of travail sorry. making that movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now it's over. You get up in the morning, Belushi, and you say, what am I going to do today? How am I going to spend the day? That's what I do. That's he, he is full oh. of creative angst. Yeah. He's the kind of guy, you sit down at a restaurant, he's going to break up matches. He's going to break up toothpicks, chopsticks. He's got a creative energy that, you see, I have the writing. You've got, you got a reason to get up in the morning. you got this gig, you know? Yeah, but what about you? You don't have a reason to get up in the morning? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I, I I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. I go some well I go to like a record store. Yeah, to just to check out the sales, no doubt. No, and yeah, sure. Buy old records. It, buy old it records disturbs him to be idle. Mm, I must say. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Does it disturb you to be an idol? To be an idol? Yeah. Does it disturb you that so many people know you and yes. grab you and recognize yeah. you? Yeah, you feel like a freak. Yeah, but do you? He has to learn to deal with it. You gotta relate to it like you're you're running for Congress. I love it. It's wonderful. No, I, I, you really don't like it, do you? No, much. I don't like no. it. I don't think anybody who's in that, who has that. Well, you have to have the right attitude about it. It's, and I mean, this has been discussed in 10 million different variations, but that's the, the double-edged sword of being as famous as Belushi was. But I think that goes, you know, tenfold for a drug addict, a guy that is genuinely dealing with that because particularly in the seventies, like, Artie would talk about the the fact that he lived in you know bars essentially comedy clubs, so he 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 worked and lived in places where alcohol was being served, and then you get this reputation on the Howard Stern show, so everyone wants to be your friend, and they say, hey Artie, I got some coke for you, you know, I got even or even just weed, whatever they have on them, they want to give him drugs. Now take that. And, and compare it to 1975, 1980, when everyone is yacked up. <laughs> I mean, there yeah. is white powder on the tip of everybody's nose. It's commonplace. Pockets, all this stuff. There's, um, if you go look at the 70s, I think uh, uh, there was a clip going around, uh, I want to say like a few months ago or whatever. I think it was the uh, end of Carson when the credits were rolling. And one yep. of the guests just pulls out Coke and starts putting it on his hand. <laughs> As the credits are rolling and he starts hitting, I we'll have to play that uh, sometime. I thought I did, but he he just he just credits start rolling. He looks at Johnny and he's like laughing. Starts tapping his hand with like a little vial, gets coke on it, and then I'm like, holy fuck, dude! Yeah, and you know what's weird is like they'll play um, I, on the Dick Cavett show. We might even have a clip. I forget, but Chevy Chase is just openly talking about coke. Um, you know what I mean? And they do it in kind of a 1970s way where it's not completely honest, but it's, it's like, it's the way, you know, in 2008 people would ask Seth Rogen about weed. 
You know what I mean? It's the same like, ooh, are you a bad boy, Chevy? Have you done a little nose candy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have that one, but I have the Bill Maher one. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, that, that's, that's probably a perfect setup, actually, because they're talking about some of the hijinks that would ensue involving uh, Coke at that time. I had a little, little jar, you know, of cocaine. A, a vial? Yeah, a little vial. And with a little spoon that hung from it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I nice. remember the spoon. And I p- Some people wore it around their neck. Really? Yeah, like a cross. No, you go well on your Jesus shirt. Which, <laughs> Christ. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, it's on the, I, I had it on the piano uh, of the stage of Lemmings. That we, uh, that National Lampoon's Lemmings. Yeah. Classic. So I'm just playing the piano. Nobody's... The crowd isn't in yet, and it's just sitting. And it, after I played just a little bit, it's gone. <laughs> no idea how or what. I obviously was looking at my hands or something at the moment that John swooped in and took it. So I immediately <laughs> said, he's, he's cocaine ninja. Belouche, did you take my coke? <laughs> how? No. Oh. What are you talking about? What coke? What? So, about a month later, I'm invited to dinner at John and Judy's um, apartment, and I'm there, <laughs> and uh, we're about ready. To, and I see my my little violet empty <gasps> and washed, <laughs> sitting on a shelf there by the oh. books. <laughs> You got my coke. So John's just <laughs> swiping coke. And I mean, that's that's classic addict behavior. But my point is, like, that's a fun story from the 70s. You know what I mean? And like when we talked about Robin Williams, it was nobody looked at it. So I guess my greater point is, um, like, when you hear Aykroyd talk about this stuff, who was his best friend. And, you know, Aykroyd says, the thing I'll always live with. And this is for anyone. If you have a friend that. Uh, committed suicide or drug overdose, whatever, you think like, oh, I should have done more. I could have helped them. You blame yourself, which, you know, in in general terms is usually ridiculous. But there are instances where you're like, I really could have done that better. And Aykroyd lives with that because in his mind, it was a time where it's like, hey, he's got a bit of a Coke problem. You know, who gives a fuck? (laughs) You know, like they didn't realize how serious that was um and i think he hid the heroin uh inclusion from a lot of people so that that kind of compounds that but my point is like it's at a time where the people around him aren't taking his drug addiction seriously so you know add that to the fact that everyone's offering him drugs everywhere he goes everyone knows him he feels like a freak like we just heard him say and so that you know develops a lot of um, you know, mental, like even we heard him joke about like suicide there, wanting to kill himself. Like, you know, there's, there's stuff that I'm sure he was dealing with mentally um, that was pretty fucking difficult. And not a lot of people at that time could relate to, you know, that definitely, um, they always have, there's always that one guy on SNL that's just having a hard time. <laughs> certainly. Yes. Yeah. Even the Pete Davidson, the modern day John Belushi. Right. Um, yeah, it's funny though. If you look at like our generate, like Pete Davidson's, uh, version of John Belushi is like, he's sad and bangs the hottest woman in Hollywood. Yeah. (laughs) You know, probably smokes too much weed. (laughs) 
Now I'm with Emily Radzikowski, whatever the hell her name is. Eh. <laughs> All right, where are we going now? Uh, this is um, what we're drinking. We're talking about his death. Oh, um, well, let's go. To, let's stick to the notes first because I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. Um, the Blues Brothers was a monster hit, giant on on top of uh, Animal House. So I didn't realize like the hits that came from that movie because I'm not a huge Blues Brothers guy necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made 115 million dollars in the box office, which I knew it was very successful. Yep. Um, and by the way, like that's never happening again with comedies. You know, like they're not even attempting to make comedies like that that are not necessarily low budget, but like that that are going to make 115 million dollars. That doesn't exist anymore. Um, so they had that, but also um, they sold. I think the first album, the the soundtrack sold three million copies, and they told sold a total of over seven or close to eight million uh, albums. And also, I didn't realize until I listened to it, like I listened to his, you know, Joe Cocker and all of that. Um, I didn't realize what a good singer Belushi was. Like genuinely, I could listen to a Blues Brothers album and enjoy it. Oh yeah, he he has. It's back to when they would make movies, and you're like. Oh, that's actually his voice. They're actually singing. This isn't like yeah, overdubbed. good pipes. Yeah. And it was like the Blues Brothers, I think, in a way, um, maybe, uh, you know, someone more um, aware of it can can point me to things that uh, happened before the Blues Brothers that might have inspired this. But like Blues Brothers reminded me a lot of uh, Walk Hard in the sense that it was a comedy, obviously. But like, if you're not fully paying attention, a lot of those songs are like, I could tap a toe to this. Like, mm. it was genuinely good songwriting. Right. Know? Exactly. Um. All right. Do we have any, any more drug related notes? Um. Nixon's old bodyguard, Smokey. Oh, of course, of course. I have to introduce Smokey to the picture. Um. So he was Nixon's bodyguard. I don't. The way they talked about him, I think he worked for. Uh, secret security. I couldn't tell if he was a guy that off the books that came in and cleaned up Nixon's Nixon's messes or something because uh, he was hired by Belushi. Like, you know, eventually Aykroyd and uh, his wife and people got to him and said like, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. You're going to kill you. Finally, people are saying you're going to kill yourself. And so they hired this guy, Smokey, who was his bodyguard. And uh, Smokey's job was essentially keeping John clean, like keeping an eye on him, you know, handling any um, uh, riffraff that tries to, to, uh, uh, you know, peer pressure Belushi. Um, So Smokey was the guy and John stayed uh, the way they phrased it was more or less sober for about a year. (laughs) So I don't know exactly what that means, but he was basically clean for uh, a little over a year. And well, well, Here's another. I guess I do know what they mean because I was listening to Ackroyd tell some story about how um, uh, we might even play it later. But he's referring to Belushi. Um, he's like, yeah, you know, he just smoked a little weed and drinks. He was so he was clean. It's like <laughs> I don't know if that's. <laughs> I guess by our standards, that's not quite clean, Dan. But uh, so I don't know. Maybe Smokey was asleep at the wheel or something. But um, for the most part, he kept him clean. But then I guess uh, I don't know who authorized Smokey as like a, um, a therapist, 
Because at some point he said, John, you've been riding the bike by yourself. the whole. My hands have been off the whole time. The training wheels are off. You've been riding yourself. Go be free, John. Your training is done. And uh, apparently John had a lot of anxiety about that and immediately turned to drugs and it was worse than it ever was before. Oh, good. Yeah. So Smokey's uh, read on that one wasn't great. You know, Smokey was a great bodyguard. They never said he had a keen eye for rehabilitation necessarily. But there's there's one last note, and it is about drugs. Um, uh, Is it that he was being held up during filming? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so I believe it was during Neighbors, and I don't know if there was one more movie filmed after Neighbors, um, but they said he was so fucked up that they would have people, you know, they would shoot it in a way where you couldn't see these guys, obviously, but they had men holding him up because he couldn't stand himself up. Like that's how fucked up he was. And, you know, he would uh, lock himself in his trailer and kind of all the cliche uh, drug addict things. Like you can listen to um, uh, Joe Walsh and Steven Tyler of Aerosmith tell stories about them destroying hotel rooms together and, uh, I think Joe Walsh said that basically they, they stayed in a, a suite, like a penthouse suite in a hotel. And they didn't realize that it was some like, it wasn't just a hotel room. Like someone lived there and they were essentially renting it for the weekend. <laughs> and then they, they said that uh, Joe Walsh and uh, John Belushi came back all fucked up. And they saw these nice paintings on the wall and they didn't want to fuck up the paintings. So instead what they did was they were like, well, we like the paintings. We don't like the wallpaper. So we'll tear all the wallpaper off. (laughs) And so whoever owned that penthouse came back to a wallpaperless home. (laughs) Thank God they did him a favor. Well, I guess so. Yeah. And in hindsight, (laughs) wallpaper is not the way to go. It's disgusting. All right, so where are we going with clips? Has uh, old John died yet? Uh, this next one is called Belushi's Death. Well, let's hear about it. I want to be alive. Oh, this but is uh, last- talking about how you found out, I think. Yeah. Summer of, I can pretty well clock his movements there from the last time I saw John, and that he would have been in New York about, well, I, all that, that last summer in Martha's Vineyard was heaven. Because uh, I had him off the powders and pills. All he was doing was having a little brandy and smoking dope. And he wasn't, he wasn't agitated. He was, it was no anxiety. He was sleeping good. He'd come over and lie on the couch at my place. We'd watch stuff. Judy and him were free flowing, going back and forth. My, my friend, the Viking would cook soup for him. It was just a wonderful summer. Then in the autumn, he got back to New York and had to go out for these meetings and he flew out to uh, LA and I saw him uh, sort of peeking over the hood of a, or the roof of a limousine, white limousine headed to Jersey for some reason. And he went over there and I imagine he was scoring dope that night, but he flew to LA and uh, I think the pressures of the business and also his respiratory wasn't that strong. Uh, and also the woman misjudged the dose of the, uh, you know, well, mis- how can you misjudge a speedball? You shouldn't be playing with that shit at all. I mean, yeah. to misjudge it. You know, she, did, she didn't mean to kill him any more than I did. I did. And, uh, you know. Um, so when you, when you heard about John, do you remember where you were when you heard about it? Oh, yeah. Um, sure, sure. Uh, I was... Uh, typing a line for him 
for Ghostbusters. I was at our office at 155th Avenue. That's right. It was about 8.30 in the morning. I'm typing a line for him. And the phone rings from L.A. And it's the manager telling him. And I got, all I think is I got to get to Judy's house right now. She can't hear this on the radio. She can't see this on the newspaper. So I drop what I'm doing. I run out run from 23rd Street and 5th Avenue to Morton Street down in the village, run all the way, pass a newsstand. It's already there. Like, a minute after I hear about the thing, it's Belushi dead at 33. How did the news get so fast? How did they get the papers out? So it was... I like that Ackroyd thinks that, like, the papers were printed after Dan heard that. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you got the news a little late, Dan. <laughs> yeah, you weren't the first call, bud. <laughs> But but obviously, like, very sad. And um, we'll get to the Ghostbusters thing in a minute. But there was, uh, I wanted to include, maybe we'll do it on, like, the Blind Mike project eventually. Because I felt it was too bizarre to do here. But there was this, uh, there's some, like, YouTube series or something called The Final 24. And they do Belushi's Last Day, which I think is a very interesting subject. Like, we talked about Robin Williams saw him that night. And De Niro saw him that night. And he was pretty much locked away in this bungalow, this drug den, you know, um, that people were coming in and partying with him. And, um, but this, this uh, video that I saw, there was like a British guy, like almost a Jason Statham sounding guy, but a little more cartoonish than Statham. And like every commercial break, he, he was like, you know, like they went out for pancakes that morning. Little did he know those were the last pancakes he'd ever have. <laughs> like, it was everything he did was like, little did he know. It's like, yeah, we got it, guys. What was what was the name of that, that doc? I think it was the final 24 or something like that. It, it seemed like a series that they do. Okay. For, um, but anyways, yeah, the, the, the <laughs> final days know. of Belushi were uh, apparently very bad. Um, but as you heard uh, Aykroyd saying there, and, and he referenced it in that interview we just played with uh, Gene Shalit as well. Um, he references in that interview that he, they're writing something and he's a little vague about what it is, but it's Ghostbusters. And so I'm assuming Belushi would have been Bill Murray's role? I believe guessing? so. So that would have been originally, Aykroyd wrote Ghostbusters for Belushi, Eddie Murphy, and himself. Wow. That would have been yeah. fucking the best if Murphy... I did. feel like... Uh, Ernie Hudson's role, his lines were probably cut once they didn't get a Eddie Murphy. I don't think <laughs> it was the same character. I think so. Went from the star of the movie to that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that would have been uh, pretty wild. But I mean, Bill Murray's a giant star in his own right. But oh, for sure. Um, yeah, that's what, uh, that's, what it, that's what the Belush man missed out on. He, it's interesting because, some, you know, maybe it's like a morbid subject. I don't know. But with guys like Belushi and Chris Farley, what I always think of is what would their career have been like uh, had they lived to this point? Like for their legend, obviously for their lives and their loved ones, it wasn't a good thing. But like if you're talking specifically about the legend of John Belushi, was it a good thing that he had a short run? Like would he have been doing, you know, straight to VHS movies eventually? Would he have tried a serious role that didn't go well? Would he have been a great serious actor? You know what I mean? I think that stuff is interesting to think about with those guys. Like, were they destined to have 
short careers, and that's why we remember them so much. I don't think he actually was. I think he would have been fine with whatever he did. Unlike Farley, I want to believe that he would have been. Yeah. That's the thing people always say about Belushi and Farley. I hear this a lot where they're like, and you know, they would have been great, serious actors. Farley, no way. Where I'm like, I, I don't know. It'd be hard to imagine fucking Tommy Boy like having emotional depth, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. Cause like, I think Belushi could have pulled it off. Yeah. I mean, I mean obviously we'll never know, but uh, right. maybe, but it is, it is something you wonder when you talk about like the, the legacy of those guys, are they as famous as they are? Because they had such a short run, you know, and I said this about Mitch Hedberg where like, you know, I think Mitch, Mitch Hedberg would have been uh, a successful comedian for a lot of like today. He'd still be touring and doing well, but I don't think he'd be the legend that he was if it wasn't such a what if game, like imagine what he could have done if he lived another 40 years. You gotta also imagine you're going to run out of one liners at some point. That's what I said. I think that's exactly what I said about Hedberg too. Uh, but you know the wild thing about Belushi? He's only be seventy three right now. That's, I think. Yeah, that's that's. He died at thirty three. It was forty years ago. I'm pretty sure. So that's crazy. <laughs> that's pretty wild. Um, all right. Do we have? Uh, oh, what, are we going to the book now? Uh, Chickless. Yeah. So um, you may remember the name um, Woodward and Bernstein. Um, God damn it. Why am I blanking on Woodward's name? Did I write it down there? His no. first name? Nope. Bob Woodward. Jesus. Took me a while to get there. Oh, on the other, um, on the other clip. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Bob Woodward wrote a book called wired, um, which we'll have him explain in a second. Uh, they turned that book into a movie starring Michael Chiklis, um, which I was not aware of until I was doing research for this episode. Uh, so let's, Hear a little bit about that film based on John Belushi. You want do you want the Woodward clip or the Chickles clip? No, Chickles. Okay. Like people said would say to me at the time, you know, you were so brave to take on that role, and I would look at them blankly because I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. I wasn't brave at all. I, I, to me, it was a no brainer. I was telling people the specials that night, and it was either tell people those specials or play John Belushi in a film with an Academy Award winning producer. I didn't know anything about the controversy surrounding that picture. I had no idea. Um, I, of course, I knew who Bob Woodward was. You know, he was the guy who took down Nixon, but I didn't know the backstory of between he and the Belushis or anything. Of the friends, I didn't know uh, who Mike Lovitz was. I was completely ignorant to the new, the LA scene, to the Hollywood scene, to any of the things that make this infrastructure work, at the, especially at that time. I was just a young actor. I was so crestfallen. I'll never forget, you know, when, I mean, briefly, and I really don't even like to talk about this period in my life because it really shook me up because when, when, when I was about two months into making that film, I discovered that, you know, everybody in his sphere w was totally horrified by the project, didn't want anything to do with it, and wanted everyone involved with it blackballed. They, they just didn't want us to see the light of day. And I was freaked out by that because imagine, all I've done my whole life is aspire to be an actor, work towards being an actor. And here are some of my favorite actors and comedic actors in my life, you know, Murray and Ackroyd and all these guys. 
and they hate me out of the gate. My God, what do they hate this man for? It's crazy. What could possibly be in this movie um, that was so taboo? We'll talk about that in a second because uh, I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of this controversy. Me either. Um, but evidently, Chicklis is in this movie. And like he said, he had no choice. Even if he knew about the controversy, I think it would be very tempting. If you're waiting tables and going from that to playing John Belushi in a movie that is getting some press, you know, I think that's that's a pretty tough decision to make. So Chicklis uh, obviously does the movie. Uh, seem to really regret it. And he talks about being blackballed there, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but he went on to say that uh, he thanked Burt Reynolds for basically saving his career um, because he said Burt Reynolds gave him a job in TV. Um, you know, I think he said over a year, it was a while after that. Um, uh, Chick was, you know, not getting any jobs. He wasn't allowed in Hollywood anymore. And uh, Burt Reynolds gave him a job and basically said like, Hey, I grew up during McCarthyism. Right. I grew up when these people were being blacklisted from Hollywood and I don't want to see someone go through that. So he gave him a job and he Chickless said that started opening up doors on TV. And I think he, uh, he got a couple of roles off of that. Obviously, uh, you know, you probably know him from The Shield on FX, which was a major TV show. I, so it's a show yeah. I've never seen, but it gets Everyone a talks shit about. ton yeah. of hype, and I, yeah. I I have not seen an episode. Uh, so obviously everything was all right for Chickles, but he went through some tough times because of this movie. What the hell did Bob Woodward do? Uh, so like I said, it was based off the book that Bob Woodward wrote. Um, Woodward is a, the guy that took down Nixon, or at least one of the guys. Um, so he's probably not a guy you want digging into your personal life. So did he come up with something crazy about John Belushi? Uh, let's find out. Why did you write about Belushi and what can you tell us about him? Yeah, the, uh, I was at the, in the office of the Post and his widow, after he died uh, in 1982, wanted to come see me. She was from Wheaton, Illinois, where I was from and where Belushi was from. I'd never met Belushi never met her. And she said, I want you to investigate the death of my husband. And I said, okay, I'll do it. If you give me and help me talk to everyone, all the actors, Jack Nicholson, the directors and so forth. And she did and all the records. And, um, I found out that, uh, they were all drug enablers. They made it possible. And I put that in the book because it was right out of their own mouths and they did not like it. And they, uh, and uh, I understand why they didn't like it, but again, uh, they failed John Belushi. They'd give him, he's on the move, a movie and they, the studio would give him $2,500 in cash per diem. Now, why does an actor, you know, their credit cards, there's to buy drugs. They knew it was for drugs. And uh, he was great under drugs. But um, I learned personally a very good lesson that when you have somebody you know who's going off the edge, you can't kind of say, well, not my responsibility. It is your responsibility. And that you have to uh, 
help people. And I think uh, in this case, they did not. Uh, he went on to say that Judy Belushi was very mad at him for the way this book came out. Like She didn't like the way it was portrayed. And my immediate thought to that would be, uh, if you want a puff piece written about someone, maybe don't get the reference for investigative journalism. <laughs> like still 50 years later, the reference is, what, what am I, Woodward and Bernstein? <laughs> you know? Maybe don't go to the guy who is going to find, if there's a, a secret, he's going to find it. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting to hear that because I say secret, but it seemed like it was far from it. Like everyone he talked to, which uh, I bet he didn't get too much backlash from Nicholson. He probably didn't give a fuck, but the rest of them. He's a great guy. Yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> um, so he basically just wrote that like, yeah, everyone was giving Belushi drugs. Did you guys know that? And, you know, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and all these people are like, how dare you? I was like, how dare you say we were doing exactly what we were doing all those years? I don't get how that's Chickles's fault either. Why is he getting black? Oh, it's not Chickles's fault. They so I I don't know how they would feel about it if you talk to them today. I'd like to ask like Aykroyd about that and Bill Murray. Um, although it seems Bill Murray is kind of a general asshole, anyways, based on some of the the controversies that have gone around lately. Yeah, but. Uh, like I'd like to ask Aykroyd because in the interviews I heard, it seemed like Aykroyd's heart, while misguided, was kind of in the right place. Like he didn't know what to do, but he he handled it poorly. He handled having a drug addicted best friend poorly, but did want like what was best for John. So I think if I could, you know, uh, be so bold as to get inside his mind. I'm guessing they were saying, well, let's do everything in our power to stop the picture from coming out. And what we can do is threaten people and say, if you're in this movie, you're never going to work again. And then when their, you know, bluff is called, so to speak, then they have to hold to that and say, well, this cocksucker that played John isn't allowed to work anymore. I don't think it's rational thinking. I think it's horrible to do to a young actor. Right. Um, like, I think it's really shitty behavior by those guys. But I do think that's what they were thinking is like, let's do whatever we can to get this movie not to come out. Now I got to go watch the movie, by the way, which I don't know where you get it. By the way, oh, I did watch the uh, trailer mm -hmm. and it's, uh, you know, the 80s movie voice guy. Yeah. And he goes, it's the movie that Hollywood didn't want you to see. <laughs> Like they're not even advertising that it's about John Belushi. <laughs> so, you, so they and they did. No one did see it. Uh, it seemed like it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it did. Joe, let's check that. See how it did in the box office. What's it um, called again? Wired. But uh, I did. Um, that was our last serious clip, right? Uh, yeah. I figured uh, I didn't want to end on such a somber note. I didn't want to end talking about Belushi. Um, we can get back to John in a second. 1.089 million. Yeah. I mean, today that would be pretty decent. 1 million. Today, I think that gets you in about uh, sixth place in the box office. $1 million. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you know, they, uh, they did what they set out to do. Aykroyd and, and uh, Bill Murray. Killing and I assume, you know, Lauren Michaels had a hand, might've had a hand in that and other people as well. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty, 
pretty scummy thing to do to try to ruin like Chickless's career for that, you know? Oh, for sure. Uh, Mr. Aykroyd, I work at a Denny's. Please. Um, <laughs> May I work in this movie? <laughs> please don't take this personally. I'm sorry. I clearly don't know the inner workings in underground cool clubs yet. <laughs> and shout out to uh, Burt Reynolds for saying, yeah, fuck those guys, you know? No shit. Especially then. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I didn't want to end. Well, first, let's talk a little more about uh, John Belushi's um, legacy, I guess, because the one thing the Belushi documentary on Showtime did more than anything else I've ever watched on him. The reason I referenced it so much is because like they talked a lot about his drugs, obviously, but they focused a lot on his career and how gigantic his career was, which I thought was very interesting. So I'd suggest you guys check that out if you like this. Um, but, uh, I did think it was very interesting and it kind of gives you the scope of like how massive a star, how massive of stars a lot of these guys were on that original SNL cast during the first couple of years. Um, but I said, I don't want to end on a somber note. We can't go out talking about, you know, Belushi croaking like that. Uh, so let's see the, the, the real legacy he left behind. We talked about his you know films and his music and his television work. Um, but one horrible thing he did, the real, if only Bob Woodward had known at the time when he was writing this book, the atrocity that Jim, uh, that uh, John Belushi left behind as I spoil my joke is, (laughs) (laughs) is, uh, his last name was the worst thing he could have left behind because it allowed Jim Belushi to have a career. And, uh, were you aware of this crap? Uh, I know Jim Belushi from the smash hit ABC sitcom, according to Jim. Me too. Um, And I had assumed he'd popped in on SNL as like a tribute to John Belushi here and there at some point. Yep. He was a cast member in the 80s. For like a season? At least. I think maybe two. He was was on there for, I think, a little while. Yeah. Let's. Would you care to see some of his work? Yeah, you want Jimmy B? Yes. This is. Uh, I, I guess uh, try and remember, folks, that hip hop was just bursting onto the scene in the eighties, and that's going to be uh, very important to remember in our next couple of clips. This is, uh, I think, like the cold open of an episode of. A, they gave him some real screen time for this Jesus. on Saturday Night Live. Already getting douche chills. Mm-hmm. Well, hello everybody, and how do you do? My name's Jimmy B. I'm gonna rap for you tonight. Tonight to feel all right. Lord knows the best part is on Saturday night. So chill out, cool it. I say it again. Chill out, cool it. Now let's begin. Tonight to have a ball, loving and laughing, you can have it all. Cause the cat's in the cradle and a silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. Well, the first thing you know, old Jet's a millionaire. Kid folks said, Jet, move away from there. I said, New York City is the place you gotta be. Saturday night with me, Jimmy B. And you know what Jimmy B with the most devotion Everybody's safe No one's gonna hurt us Eddie Murphy's here and Jamie Lee Curtis So looky over there Looky over there Hey everybody you got to be aware Don't wanna miss a thing The fix is gonna sing Hey mister this stop playing with the thing This is John's fault I like that these were the years Where they had to remind the viewer Like hey Eddie Murphy's in the cast 
Like, don't, don't forget. <laughs> Eddie Murphy's going to come on screen any minute now. <laughs> like, hey, uh, remember this guy that everyone hates? Uh, we're going to make him do this. <laughs> um, yeah, so John, Belu- I, I, I'd be curious to know, this might have been the Dick Eber. I don't know if Lauren was back for this, if it was Dick Eber, Ebersol or Lauren Michaels. But evidently someone felt guilty and said, like, hey, maybe if it, we just say it's a Belushi that's on the show, people will like not realize what we mean and they'll tune in. <laughs> I don't know what the logic is. <laughs> Um, but listen, maybe, maybe, uh, Jim realized that rapping wasn't his forte and he ditches it. So let's play another, uh, uh, pieces of his work on Saturday Night Live. We're white guys. No, come on. No crap when we deliver our white rap. We're white guys and make no crap when we deliver our white White rap. Got a house out in the burbs, and I try not to act too much like a nerd. I got a white wife and two white kids, and a brother-in-law who's on the skids. I got a Volvo. I got a Jag. And secretly, we dress in drag. <laughs> Drive on Madison Ave, ride a TV spot for a hemorrhoid tab. I jog until my face is blue, then scrape the dog dew off my shoe. Get on the train at 805 and do that crazy one hand time. <laughs> Oh. Subscribe to the YouTube, guys, folks. We take no crap when we deliver our white rap. The guys at the office are just like me. They're white and bright. They watch TV. We have a meeting down the hall where we discuss our racquetball. Write an ad for Captain Crunch, and pretty soon it's time for lunch. We all step out to hail a cab. This is so off time, too. <laughs> back to work at 206. I practice shooting my paper clip. Well, pretty soon it's, it's happy hour. I'll oh have a God. loving whiskey shower. Well, what a concept. Jeez. Oh, wow. Hey, catch you later, baby. Ciao. So, so don't, don't push me or I'll fall out oh, God. of bed. <laughs> I'm just trying to make some friends. <laughs> How dare you? I mean, like I said, not all uh, comedy holds up. Who knows? At the time, I wasn't. You know? I wasn't originally going to force the Animal House clip, but I think we need a palate cleanser. Well, we'll give you one. That'll, yeah, you're right. Uh, we, we need some Belushi re, uh, uh, rebound here. We gotta write the ship. Yeah. This is almost a, worse. A than, Belushi sorbet. This might be worse for people than the news of him dying is watched being like, oh, I remember him doing this and this, and then his brother comes on and ruins the whole thing for him. I'll tell you why they. Uh, I'll t- I'll tell you why I left that so long. That last clip is because I was watching it, <laughs> and I said, "Well, they'll get the gist after a few seconds." But I kept watching it, and I was like, "It wouldn't be right." For only me to have to watch all of this. <laughs> you know what's so funny is I didn't realize what you were doing at first with the with the clip. And, the, and I just come out, I'm like, pretty good, huh? The Jimmy B one, the Jimmy B one I, I cut and I was like, well, that's a little weird, but I guess whatever. And I'm like, oh. and then I I opened up that last white rap one. I'm like, he looks a lot like his brother in this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, oh, I get it. <laughs> And to Craig's point, though, I just put you through what America went through is, uh, you know, the wild tale of John Belushi. And then you're like, and what? What's this? 
I believe a lyric in uh, White Guys was scraping the dog dew off your shoe, which is what ABC did for us when they gave him a sitcom. <laughs> yeah. I have to watch According to Jim now. It's a it's a, a smash hit. I think According to Jim is the reference when people make fun of like you know like an out of shape galoof who has an attractive wife and he likes boys. A guy's guy. Like I think According to Jim is the stereotype. <laughs> I might, yeah, I might have to watch it and force myself to like it. We'll go for it. Uh, yeah. So like, if you want to, let's not go out on that note with the. Uh, the, the Belushi brothers. Let's just remember uh, his, uh, the Belushi's greatest hits combined. This was their best work. <laughs> I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. I gave my love a <laughs> Doesn't even say anything. It's already funnier. Classic. Classic college staple. Exactly. Hitting the street signs on the college kids' walls, everything was in there. If only his brother's career was in that guitar. (laughs) It was the guitar. So, uh, I mean, John Belushi, like I said, an absolute legend. Um, To me, I not necessarily like my favorite. Yeah, me either. Um, but it was hard for me. I came in ready to say he was overrated. I don't think that. But like looking back at his career and the money his movies made and all of that, like I truly don't think he was overrated. It just wasn't for me, you know. Yeah, not 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 for me. But like like every time Animal House is on, I watch it and it's fucking hilarious. Like uh, that scene's always funny. But I mean, well, and it inspired. Lot, but- if you want to talk about influence, oh. I mean, I'm I, I don't say I rewatch Animal House all the time, but like. My favorite movies, all, I mean, old school, super bad, all Animal House influence. American Pie movies, like all of them. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Any, honestly, the nineties were influenced by Animal House. Exactly. Any, every comedy you've liked since the nineties, the person who made it was influenced directly by that movie. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Animal House or Caddyshack more or less. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously a tremendous amount of influence. So hats off, uh, Mr. Belushi, you, you went too soon and you left us with Jim. So we'll always have that, to, to wonder what if, but, uh, rest in peace, old friend. And, uh, we will talk to you guys. Oh, uh, shame on me. Blindmike.net. That's where you get all our links. Uh, very good show.org. That's hey. where you get all Craig's links. Hey. Go check out the Blind Mike Project. Check out a very good show. And uh, support this program on Patreon if you'd be so kind. Um, or you can s- subscribe on YouTube now, I think. If you can't, I don't know. We'll Email your local congressman. <laughs> um, all right. We'll talk to you next time on Why Are You Laughing? Yeah, baby. Yeah, I've been drinking. And I, I shouldn't
Somebody 